today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. How is this uh, pandemic, this ongoing pandemic, affecting the Canadian economy? And I'm talking about on a global sense. We've talked about how individual provinces are being impacted, certainly. But uh, we are a trading nation, and we rely on international trade, obviously, to keep the economy going. And, uh, well, we're taking a hit. Well, there's some stats that have come out recently that indicated just exactly how serious this was and how quickly the recovery uh, could be. But also, I think it engenders a conversation as to what we should do going forward at the same time. Joining us to talk about all of this is uh, Eugene Boileau, who is a professor in the Department of Economics in the University of Calgary. Professor, thank you so much for the time. appreciate you joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. Hello. Good to have you with us. The comparator a lot of us use as, as we were going through this and continue to go through this uh, was not so much the Great Depression back in the late 1930s, but, but the, the more recent one that we went through, 2008, 2009, uh, which had a dramatic impact. Uh, th- there are some comparative numbers out right now. Uh, is, is what we're going through and what we went through in the last year as bad as what we saw in 2008, 2009? Well, certainly uh, we bottomed out around uh, the same, you know, we, we trade dropped dramatically to about the same extent as 2008, 2009. Uh, one difference has been uh, trade this time recovered, uh, at least so far. You know, we, we don't know what's, what's coming, but uh, I would say that trade declined not as much as we thought it might uh, when the pandemic was first starting. You know, a year ago, or uh, maybe more likely, ten months ago, uh, there were there were uh, more dire predictions of how much trade would collapse. Certainly, it did collapse, and it collapsed to the extent of of the great of the Great Recession, we could call it the 2008 20, 2009 mm-hmm. financial crisis. Um, but it's recovered more, and also uh, the more recent data show that it it didn't uh, decline as much as they first thought it might. I, the fact that we were starting the recovery surprised me when I saw some of these numbers, Professor. Because yeah, as any of us who lived through it, I guess most of us did, probably lived through the 08, 09. Uh, the recovery took a long time. It took years to, to kind of get back on our feet after something like that. Why Why such rapidity with the, the recovery? And I'm not suggesting we're back on easy street now, but, but the numbers do look a lot more encouraging than they did uh, a year ago. Yeah, that's a good point. We, we should be careful because we're not through this yet. But certainly the turnaround that, that did come already uh, suggests that uh, it, it may not have the lasting impact that the 2008-09 uh, recession did. Um, and and uh, I think the reason is that uh, this time around, there was the initial shutdown and, and, and people lost jobs. And so demand declined and things like that. Uh, we have a similar economy. What, one of the great, uh, one of the things we learned from the Great Recession was just how integrated. I mean, we know how integrated our economies are. But when you see the data and you see the extent of the trade collapse, and we're talking about international trade declining much more rapidly and much further than GDP declines, which is actually extraordinary in a historical perspective. Um, and that happened this time. But what happened this time was people kept buying things people kept working our you know retail trade numbers are out and they're down but they're not down across the board and online purchasing and things like that so um we have continued to buy goods have continued to move uh but we're you know we're not through this yet and there's still a lot of concern about manufacturing and and uh and shortages and supply chains so 
we don't know, but it looks like it's turned around faster than we thought it would have. Because I know it's, it's easy to draw these comparisons, and, and I know a number of, of economists have done this. Uh, but there were two different animals altogether, weren't they? I mean, you know, one of the reasons the economy uh, took the hit that it did last year, with the numbers we're talking about now, is because people were afraid to go out of their house, uh, and or in some cases couldn't because the store that they wanted to go to was closed. Oh uh, nine, we we were just plain afraid of uh, economically. I mean, you know, people lost jobs. There was a concern about that. Uh, so it's it's a different uh, different. I guess reasoning for this, but the reactions seem to be the same. Yeah, you're 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 right, and and uh, the uh, the reasons were different. The, and oh eight oh nine, you know, this was a financial crisis. It uh, it did uh, uh, a lot of jobs were lost. Manufacturing did decline, and the the decline in manufacturing output at that time, um, because countries are so integrated, meant that all the traded in, inputs into the manufacturing process, there was less demand for that. So the uh, impact of the financial crisis spread rapidly, it spread extensively, and it, expre- and it spread to uh, consumer, consumer goods that were more uh, things that we could delay purchase on and things like that. So uh, a, a major decline in demand, which was then propagated through the supply chain, and uh, that, that's what happened in 2008-09. This time around, like I said, uh, initially people stopped going places, but people kept buying online and other ways. So if you look at the online trade data, of course, we know that's, uh, that's gone through the roof, whereas uh, you know, small shops, domestic, uh, local shops, they really uh, bear the brunt of, of the uh, decrease in demand. Mm-hmm. That's a simplistic thing about, you know, economics is supply and demand. Uh, and, and it's an interesting analogy to use uh, with what happened over the last 12, 14 months here. Uh, as you say, the demand was there, we, but we just had to access, a, a, and for many of us, a different way of, of accessing the goods that we were demanding. Yeah, that's right. And I think that's the big difference between 08 and today. What does that do to supply chain, though? Yeah, so that's, that is an issue. And, you know, we're hearing reports of, of shortages in, in uh, key pieces of uh, all kinds of equipment, uh, computer chips and things like that. Um, again, uh, initially, and again, that's why I think, uh, you know, 10 months ago, if you would have asked me, I would have predicted a similar kind of collapse as, as the 0809. I was quite worried that, that it was going to be more long-lasting like that. And it is because of how integrated we are and how, you know, uh, a, a good sh- share of world trade are are intermediate inputs that go into the production of all the goods and services, well, goods mostly that we buy. Mm-hmm. And so um, uh, the supply chain is, there, there, is a, there is a concern there, and there is an effect there. I guess one thing, uh, one other difference between 08 and 09 and, and today was 0809 was driven by, uh, it, you know, it started in the U.S. and it spread quickly to Europe, and, and then it was this major demand shock that we talked about. Um, but it, it didn't really directly affect most, most countries in the world. But all countries were affected, all countries that are part of the global supply chain. Um, this time around, uh, the pandemic obviously has affected countries around the world. So that's a little bit of a different uh, uh, impact as well.
Yeah, I can remember even back in those days, the Canadian government, uh, well, Prime Minister Harper and Finance Minister Flaherty at the time, were hopeful, I, I guess is maybe the, the right word to use, uh, that there was going to be minimal impact on the Canadian economy. But of course, you know, when our, our largest trading partners impacted like that, of course, it, there's a ripple effect and, uh, and we fell down. But you're right. I mean, everybody is dealing with COVID right now. So everybody, uh, is going to be impacted by this. Uh, but there was a blip in supply chain uh, a year ago. Well, there's the toilet paper debacle, of course, that everybody talked about but uh they seem to recover pretty quickly though and, and get goods to market as as fast as they usually did yeah and so again like i say 10 months ago we were quite concerned because as as this started in china and as ship as shipping uh uh as shipping was reduced um you know china's trade went down first and uh you know exports and and not just china but other countries that are supplying these uh inputs um so yeah the supply chains have been disrupted uh, I don't think we've seen the end of that. And, and obviously, uh, there's shortages in some things. And, uh, and, and we're not out of the woods yet on this yet. And we talk about travel and modes of transportation, of course, and, and trucking is going to be one of those, obviously. Uh, air transportation, uh, you know, same day delivery or it's next day delivery for some things. I, I guess we have to be a little more relaxed about their expectation there. But we, we got some stats last week uh, about uh, John C. Monroe Hamilton Airport here, uh, which is mostly a cargo airport, of course, one of the more busiest cargo airports in the country. Uh, their numbers are up uh, considerably. They did quite well. So, I mean, people are still. The, the demand is still there, I guess, for these sorts of things. And I guess, uh, to your point, though, Professor, that would probably be a reflection on the online buying. I mean, let's face it, if you go online to buy something, uh, somebody's got to put it on a plane someplace and get it to where you are. And and, and that would bode well for that particular uh, part of the industry and the supply chain. Yeah, that's right. And, and again, that's, again uh, Stats Can just came out with some numbers today on that. And retail numbers are down. Uh, they, they, the most recent data cover the Christmas period, and you know Canadian retailers did not do well, but big box stores and online retailers, any retailers that either were already in the online game or, or quickly transitioned to it, uh, did very well, and their numbers are way up. Um, and uh, so um, our study, the, or the, the briefing note that we wrote, didn't really address uh, tourism much, but obviously that's that's. That, you know that's essentially wiped out right now, and except for local tourism and, and uh, uh, so air travel, all of that, we didn't really look at that directly. We were look, we were focusing on trade and goods, but you, you're absolutely right that air travel um, and a lot of goods are moved by air. Um, so the decline in passenger air travel has affected uh, cargo shipments a little bit, but as you said, cargo shipments are way up, and and I think will continue to be. So we've solved those kinds of. Uh, issues. Um, and again, demand is still there and people are finding ways to buy things. There's always a concern, though, when we have a, a, an economic dip like this, uh, that uh, governments can respond in, well, inappropriate ways. If, uh, the, the phrase I'm thinking about here, of course, is protectionism. And we saw an awful lot of that, of course, during the Trump administration over the last four years, uh, and, and which was not even related to the, to the 08, 09. It just seemed to be the, the policy and the mindset of them. But there, there seems to be a tendency for some countries to kind of pull their horns in uh, when there's an economic downturn like this and say, look, you know, we're, we're going we're gonna to put protectionism measures in place here till we get back up on our feet which seems to run contrary to this whole concept of a global economy yeah that's that is actually the big concern we have is that that countries will respond in that way and uh, you see a little bit of it happening um and i do think that and and you're right um 
Uh, Trump did undermine the sort of multilateral trading system. He, he took steps that uh, took the teeth out of the WTO that reduced its ca- capability to manage global trade. He made it all right to be a protectionist in other countries. I mean, he has a trade war. An on, well, the U.S. has an ongoing trade war with China. You know, that's for different reasons, that, that particular uh, trade policy. Um, but, there, you know, there's pressure to, as you said, uh, sort of uh, uh, close up borders and, and uh, you know, protect your own kind of response. And that would, uh, in, in all the evidence I've looked at, that would lead to a greater downfall. That would hurt economies. Um, I, I just one more point on that. You know, once we do sort of get through this, once the vaccines start working, we get numbers down uh, and we and we sort of get back to some, some semblance of, of uh, the new normal or whatever we want to call it. Um, you know, we are we are going to be facing large government deficits. We're going to be facing uh, difficult economic times, uh, especially for certain groups. And so economically, we're not going to be out of this. The pandemic's going to end. Uh, economically, we're going to have to deal with that. And that's where you can get pressure is coming as well you mentioned the world trade organization i'm, I'm glad you did because as, as we try to get back on our feet i mean on a global perspective professor uh what role does the wto play in a situation like that and because your point was well taken under the trump administration uh he did everything possible to try to defame and defang that organization uh and some people bought into it but uh, it, it it's still going to be a player here isn't it yeah actually a, a little bit of that remains to be seen so the U.S. has been dissatisfied with the, the WTO, and, and they've had uh, most, actually most uh, U.S. trade disputes. So one, one mechanism or one important role of the WTO is that they govern the rules on, on trade, and Canada benefits from that significantly. I would argue that the U.S. does as well, but it's just a large economy, so it can kind of, uh, kind of make its own rules. Um, but they've been unhappy with rulings from the WTO, Not, and this predates Trump. Uh, but oh, yeah, really yeah. Just, yeah. Uh, but he really uh, took a stand and he basically so he stopped appointing judges to their appellate panel and that completely shut down their dispute settlement system. And, and again, that's a key piece of uh, uh, the role of the WTO kind of administering and and enforcing the rules of trade. Um, it, it's not clear what Biden's going to do about that. He talks like a multilateralist, but he's going to have pressure the same kind of uh, domestic political pressures uh, to sort of go fight hard against the WTO. I, I'm not sure. I, I do actually, it's possible, and I'm hopeful that uh, this might get uh, countries back to the table. The WTO hasn't moved forward since really since 1994 on negotiating sort of improvements to the system. Um, and may, maybe it will now. That, that's a hope. Um, and then the U.S. could go to the table and negotiate some of its grievances, um, and uh, all, all members could, um, and, and they could work on the rules that they're dissatisfied with rather than just shutting down the system. Yeah, the concern, obviously, if with uh, the Trump approach to this, of course, was they, they, they simply said if there's a dispute here, uh, our judges here in the States will decide who's right and who's wrong, uh, which kind of defeats the whole purpose of the WTO. So you'd like to think everybody's going to get back at the table. But uh, to your point, though, about, about trying to avoid protectionist attitudes, uh, which could really cripple the recovery here, would the, would the WTO have a role to play there, I mean, at least to get everybody around the table and, and have a discussion about possible impacts of such policies? That's a great question. Um, I mean, they kind of, 
they, they do have a bit of an advocacy role, but it's not, they don't have a really strong role. I, I, I think an institution like the G7 or the G20, uh, the G20 is an institution that might um, ha- have a better shot at making improvements. It get, it's the largest economies in the world, the 20 largest economies uh, for the G20. Um, and they take on challenges like this, or at least they have. Again, with Trump, they didn't. They stopped mm-hmm. doing things. The G7, uh, couldn't, they couldn't even uh, get, get together on sort of common uh, goals. But now they have a common goal and objective. And I, I would bet that this would be part of their, their focus. Um, they are already focusing on sort of the, the challenges with distributing the vaccine worldwide. Um, I, I would say the WTO rule, role would be not as great there. Uh, but it, it, they would support it. It's just not clear what they would do or how, how they would uh, how, how they would manage this challenge. Fascinating report, Professor, and I think it, it lays out in, in a pretty clear way exactly the challenges that we're facing and how we got here. Uh, thank you so much for spending some time with us today. It's greatly appreciated. Uh, my great pleasure. Thank you for your interest. Take care. Professor Eugene Borlio, of course, from the uh, Department of Economics at the University of Calgary, and, of course, one of the authors of the, uh, the report that we just referenced. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.